Aloha, and welcome to another podcast from Learning Without Scars. Today, we're going to have another lessons learned discussion with Caroline Slipoulos. Hello there, Caroline. How are you today? I'm great. I think I've recovered from the chaos that is Christmas gift wrap all over the house. How are you? <laughs> the same. And, and Merry Christmas to everybody. This obviously is coming shortly after Christmas for you. Um, today, we're going to talk about that wonderful subject of potential. And I think those of you that follow Learning Without Scars and our resources through blogs and podcasts and newsletters and audio learning and everything that we're doing out there, we have as we have three different missions. The first one is helping everybody understand and identify the potential that they represent as people. And then what we at Learning Without Scars do with assessments and subject-specific classes is help people realize that potential. But potential is a pretty nasty uh, term. I, I'm famous for saying if somebody tells you at 16 you have a lot of potential, that's a heck of a compliment. You puff your, 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 your cheeks up and, and your chest out, and here you go. But if they tell you the same thing at 66, you have to wonder what you've been doing the last 50 years. So with that as the opening shot, how do we help people identify their potential, Caroline, in, in your view as a teacher? How do you help a student understand and identify their potential? Well, the first thing I always do is I go straight to the definition, because I think when it comes to things like potential, things that are intangible, we can't pick it up, grab a hold of it. We all interpret what that means a little bit differently. So the literal, actual definition of potential is that it means you have or show the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. And when I look at that definition, I think we all have the capacity to have potential all throughout our lives. It's just to differing degrees based on the time in front of us. And the first thing I always do with students, and mind you, my students are 13 years old this year, the majority of them, uh, what really catches you on fire? What's the spark? What's that thing that you absolutely love doing? And now sometimes with children, of course, well, I don't know. And they tend to think that it has to be something huge, has to be something major, significant, world-changing things. When in fact, I might hear with 13-year-olds especially, well, it's Fortnite or it's Call of Duty and playing games with my friends. But that potential can still be there. I have a former student who's gone on to a Google internship. It was the video games when he was in eighth grade. Well, now he's a junior and it's the coding of the video games. How do I take this apart and create my own? So potential is something that is always there. And everybody, I think we start to lose as managers and as professionals the joyful part of potential once employees come into a business. We apply to potential the same idea we apply to high school graduation. Okay, I've achieved it. I made it to this point, therefore I'm full-fledged, 
I've actualized everything and now I'm working. And that's where continuing training, that's where professional pathways come into it for adults. If you're not learning, you're stagnating. And even if you think you're not learning, as in you're not going out and pursuing a class or you're not going out and making a study of a book, you're still learning through experience, through deliberate choices, through the choice not to choose, as the old song goes. So in a business, we have to offer a path for our employees to continue fulfilling their potential. It's interesting that, you know, the age group that you're dealing with at school, 13-year-olds, it's understandable that it's cloudy. It's, it's, it's mysterious. I don't really know what that means. What, how do I translate that into my life? And, and your, your comment about I graduated from high school, that's it, I'm done. Uh, or university or technical school or whatever the education is. And you get to work. And a lot of people that I've dealt with over my life have said to me, oh, my God, what a relief. That's over. And, and I flip it on them. In fact, learning starts after you finished with all your formal schooling. You're learning in school, no question about it. The reading, writing, arithmetic type of thing, and then the expansion of that into more specialties and then narrowing it down, whether it's vocational school or university or graduate degree or whatever. But now you get out into the business world and you get a job. And that job, you, you, you kind of have a breath of sigh of relief. It's, I still remember the year that I came, that finished school and had to go find a job and could not find one. And we've got the world in the last two years anyways that's had a case where people, kids graduated from university, didn't have a normal graduation. They had to apply online, couldn't find a job. 50% of the mechanical engineers a couple of years ago were unemployed right after graduating. So getting a job at a company, having the beginning of a career was a start. There's an Amazon commercial now that we treat all employees the same, whether you're here as a, as a summer job or as an intern or as a starting, or you're making it a career. Most people, when they start on their job, don't know what making it a career really means. That's the same thing as potential, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think that the transition period from, yay, I have a job, or feeling secure because you have a job, to looking at that not as your job, but as your career. It's a pathway that you're not, like, I feel like employees oftentimes can look at themselves as, I'm here to just kind of do what I'm told. When in fact, it's a little bit more partnership now. The success or failure of a business doesn't depend solely on one person. It's multiple factors, multiple people, and the relationships that are built within. You used to tell me when I was growing up that so often people spent more hours with their coworkers at work than they ever got to spend at home. And so the relationships there, the way that path is paved together as a team, makes a huge difference. And that's just more potential being actualized or not. 
in the workplace. And that that potential, if you look at recent statistics, and they're 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 very much more stark today because of the pandemic and what's gone on. But people are become disengaged with their business because they don't feel involved. The, the boss tells them what to do. Um, it, it's kind of the old school approach to life. I'm going to show you how to do the job. And I'm going to have you do the job while I watch and I'll make corrections to you. Then I'm going to watch you do it. And I'm going to say, congratulations. Now work at it so you can do more faster. And it'll cost me less money. And that's, you're, you're going to get good at it. And that's the last I talked to that employee. And that's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. How do we excite the new worker? And then we've got the older worker, the 30, 40, 50 year old, who's been doing the same job for 10 or 15 or 20 years. How do we re-excite, reignite their interest, their, their joy of, of, of work? Potential to me was, was, was interesting because as, as you know, Caroline and many people do, I was a swimmer. And in swimming, you learn something, I think, that's fundamentally critical in life. You don't compete with other people. You compete with yourself. How good do you want to be? And that's, that's looking down the throat of potential. It's, it's not, something I'll, I'll never forget. If I'm, I'm, if I'm on the blocks at a race and I finish last, but I beat my best time, I won. Yes. Because that, making yourself better, trying to striving towards achieving that potential was the real deal. And that's the hardest thing, I think, to internalize, that it's you competing against your own best time, that it's you building it better the second time through, that ends up being the source of the success. Or the source of the, huh, maybe I should try this differently because that didn't go the way I thought it would. Yeah, and that's hard work. It's hard work. The, the interesting thing, what, what we have at Learning Without Scars on the website is, is a tab called resources. And with resources, within resources, we've got our blogs, we've got our podcasts, we've got our newsletters. We now have audio learning which is out there in multiple languages. And we have a suggested reading list up there now. And we're, we're moving forward to having a, you know, a, a book of the month type of club with a panel that'll discuss the book, which people will be able to sit and listen on. But as an example, uh, pick, pick a book. Um, Patrick Lencioni, Three Signs of a Miserable Job. Um, having somebody read that and then listen to a panel talking about what we should be getting out of it, I think helps people to break out of that quicksand of the job has got me trapped. I need the job to make a living. I need a job to feed my family. That's what becomes the pressure point, isn't it? Yes. And life has so many pressure points. It's really easy to get stuck. And once we feel stuck, our mind goes right along with our feelings. Yeah. We can't see a different way to look at it because we're 
focused on the stuck feeling. And then the leader comes in and criticizes us or one of our peers uh, insults us or something in the workplace gets there that's a, what I call a demotivator. As, as, as you know, you've heard me say this over and over, I can't motivate anybody. I think you have to motivate yourself, but I can demotivate everybody, anybody, by how I communicate with them. And the world that we live within has not really got to the point of sophistication and openness where the boss-employer relationship is one of equality as opposed to structure. And that hurts potential, I think. I tend to agree. I mean, the boss-employee relationship, in my opinion, should be much like the teacher-student relationship. A teacher is there to, to facilitate student success. There are tools, there are methods, there are different ways we demonstrate, we explain, we show, we have the students get up and teach it. And a boss should be no different. They're there to facilitate. They keep the general structure on track, but the ideas should be collaborative, not controlling. We're here to improve it together as co-workers, not as a lord to surf relationship. Yeah, which is where the planet has kind of evolved from, isn't it? The last 5,000 years, we've gone from royalty to, you know, tyrants to whatever, to now we've got what we call bosses. And, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting that um, in in the 80s, you had the arrival of total quality manage, manage, uh, management, uh, continuous quality improvement, the Edward Deming uh, approach to life in America. And, and he, it, he, it was done in Japan first, and, and that's Kaizen is the Japanese term. And what the Japanese look at in their jobs is that every day they strive to make their job a little bit better. In America, that's a completely different culture. We go into the job, you want to learn how to do the job, and I, I liken it to the assembly line. I'm going to put tires on a car on an assembly line, and I've got an impact wrench in my hand, and I've got a conveyor belt that's bringing the vehicle down the line, and I'm putting the tires on on one side of the car. And the first, the front tire hits there, I mount it, I use the jackhammer. Then it comes to the next tire, I, use, I, I mount it, I use the jackhammer. And that goes on eight hours of the day. And now I want to go to the employee who knows how to do the job better than anybody else. And I want to make a change. And rather than the boss instituting the change, the change should come from, you know the job better than anybody else, George. What do you think we should do to make this better for you? And wouldn't that be a refreshing change? And that yes, kind of although although sometimes lip service is paid to that. I've seen numerous situations where the question is, George, you're the one who spends 40 hours a week doing this, 50 hours a week doing this. What do you think we should change? And George weighs in, gets a pat on the head, and is completely blithely ignored. Yeah. No feedback, no response, and no action taken according to what George sees in his job as in need of improvement. 
It's yeah. not just the willingness to ask. It's the willingness to listen, to hear each other. Yeah, I had a case in point where I'm working with a dealership in Russia, and I'm in Moscow talking to employees. And there's a man with a master's in business administration, a smart man. And I asked him one of my standard questions. What, uh, what do you think we should change here to make your life easier at work? And the response I got back was, don't, don't, don't ask me questions like that. Just tell me what you want me to do. The, the potential had been completely torn out of him. I've got here. You tell me what to do. I'm okay. I don't get into trouble. If I get into trouble, I'm in deep trouble. This is not good. Yeah. Potential. Potential. I, I still will never forget going to register for university with my father and I'm 16. And the other night we have dinner and Declan, my grandson, your son is 16. And we were talking about what he wanted to do. And I had to make choices as to what classes I was going to take. And he's got another five years before he gets to that place. And that's been when he's out of, out of university. Hmm. Uh, if he goes to an undergraduate degree or vocational school, it's another three years or what, whatever it might be. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult today, much more so than ever before. And I think the challenge is, like you said, leadership has changed. It's not telling people, it's asking people. The, the, our, our class, The Art of the Possible, identifies the leader as the orchestra conductor, who's the only person as his back to the customer. And he's the only person that isn't playing an instrument. The leaders of the strings, of the horns, of the percussion, they're the ones that actually have to get the musicians to play to their potential. And the conductor has to organize all of those leaders in a manner such that the music that comes out of that orchestra is beautiful. And it is if everybody does their job. Companies fail or succeed based on the leadership being able to tap into the potential of each of the employees. That's a pretty powerful statement, don't you think? Yes. I think we should stop there on talking about potential. Have you got anything you want to add as a closing piece? No, I would just say that we all have potential, even when we think we don't. It's easy to forget in all the pressure and day to day. Yeah, let me translate that. We can all do more than what we think we can do. And getting us to do that is, is the challenge of potential. Thank you, Caroline. And thank everybody who's been listening to this podcast. I look forward to having you join us again at another lesson learned. Mahalo. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We appreciate your support. Should you have any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.learningwithoutscars.com. The time is now. Mahalo.